Father, pray that we'd approach these next moments with an awareness that Jesus is here among us. Revelation says He walks among the lampstands which represent the church. May this be more than something we check off. Another ritual on our calendar, Lord. We pray that You'd encounter us and that we would respond in surrender and worship, obedience, faith, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. Y'all could be seated. We're in Mark chapter 9, verse 14. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn there. That verse says, When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. Now you all know that context is important. We've got to know what happened before a Scripture and after a Scripture to to really grasp what's going on. So let's talk about what's the context of this verse. It says, when they came to the disciples, who's the they? Well, you remember last week, Jesus had taken Peter, James, and John up on a high mountain, and they saw His face shine like the sun. So now these four are coming back from this literal mountaintop experience, right? And what do they enter into? Says they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with the other nine disciples from this ultimate moment of glory back down into the chaos of the world, right? From the mountaintop to the valley. And you can only imagine what a shock this must have been to Peter, James, and John. When you when you're on the mountaintop and you're enjoying it, and Peter wanted to stay there, but But Jesus let them down. Now all of a sudden there's scribes and disciples yelling, arguing, this chaos. Maybe maybe you understand this descent from the mountaintop to the valley in your own life. I experienced it on a small scale yesterday morning. I was having a beautiful, peaceful morning of landscaping. Highs were in the 70s, light breeze out there. I'm enjoying working on some of our trees until our cedar tree decided to fight back. I was working on one branch and headed all the, almost all the way sawed through and did something I'd recommend you don't do instead of just finishing the work with the saw. I thought, I'm going to pull this branch and I pulled it towards me and it came off and it came off with a, a pop. And I ran inside and Carolyn's getting napkins and I thought I was going to pass out for the first 10 seconds. Thankfully, as Carolyn said, my eyeball did not fall out. That's the good news. But I went from this peaceful morning of landscaping to getting punched by my tree. You might think the tree won, but I told a few people I cut five or six branches off that sucker. So I I think I got it. We experienced it on a small scale last year, as as many of you guys did, as our world totally changed. That happened right after we were in Utah seeing the Mighty Five Parks. We had been to Zion and checked out that amazing waterfall there and all those goosebump moments up there. And it's on the way back down. We hear from the school. Church probably won't be able to meet there. And life for all of us changed. I think about the fact that in the same Holy Land where Jesus had his moment of transfiguration. We have a friend right now named Laura and her husband sleeping in a bomb shelter on the mountaintop to the the valley. 
Maybe you've experienced it in other ways. Maybe it's an ongoing sickness. An ongoing sickness that you prayed to God about, but for whatever reason, He has not healed you. We talked with someone in the past couple weeks struggling with that. They said, I know Jesus could heal me. Why doesn't He? Maybe that's the valley you're facing. We have another friend who battles addiction. He's been arrested for several DUIs and now though he prayed for the the judge to give him rehab at a Christian rehab center, he's facing two years in prison for a DUI. That's that's his valley right now. I don't know what your valley is. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm so thankful that Jesus did not stay on the Mount of Transfiguration, that he came down that mountain into the valley because there were and there are Needs, needs to be met by Jesus. Verse 15, As immediately all the crowd, when they saw Him, were greatly amazed and ran up to Him and, and greeted Him. Now some have speculated, did, were they amazed? Like did Jesus still have that mountain glow on His face like Moses did when He, when he came down the mountain? Like, whoa, look at that guy, He's glowing. I don't believe so, because what did Jesus told Peter, James, and John up there about what happened? Don't talk about this until after the resurrection. It's not a great way to keep a secret if your face is glowing, right? So, so I doubt that. What I believe, along with many others, is they were amazed because Jesus showed up at just the right moment, right when He was needed in the middle of what we're going to see was going on. Verse 16, as he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? What's this argument between the scribes and the disciples of Jesus? Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and, and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. So many believe this argument between the scribes and Jesus' disciples may have gone something like this. you got the scribes saying, all right, you guys say you're disciples of Jesus, and you say he's this great spiritual leader, and yet you can't help this guy with his son? What gives here? Now, now others have said the scribes weren't doing much to help either, and... We know that many of these scribes, no matter what Jesus or his disciples did, were, were never happy, right? Jesus had said in Matthew eleven sixteen, to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You could not please some of these guys, no matter what Jesus and his guys did. It's like one of our favorite Greek sandwich shops in Prescott Valley. I cannot figure out how to please them when I order. I love their sandwiches, but I called in one time and I said, I'd like a gyro. And the guy said, this is America. We just call them gyros here. I said, okay, well, I'll have a gyro. So then the next time I called in, 
I said, I'd like a gyro. And the lady on the phone said, OK, one euro. Like, no matter how I order at that sandwich shop, I can't please him. For some of these scribes, that's how Jesus in his ministry was. No matter what he did, some of them would never be happy. But here, here, I think these scribes may have had a legitimate point. These are disciples of Jesus who we know from Mark chapter 6. Jesus had given them authority to cast out demons. And yet here, they could not do it. And one thing that, that strikes me is their ineffectiveness in this situation led to a very sad situation. Here you have a father with a, a son. The father's desperate. The son is suffering. And all you've got is this religious argument going on while he's sitting there suffering. Right? The scribes and the disciples. And I think sometimes that can happen even in the church world. If we get away from faith in Jesus and following Him through faith and prayer and we start getting wrapped up in in-house politics that don't amount to a hill of beans, it can become what one man said when he said this, some church discussions uh, oblivious to a world of tragic need are like a life-saving crew in the safety of its station discussing what kind of braid would be best for its uniforms while ships are piling up on the rocks outside in the storm. That's tragic that there's a boy in need here and all that's going on is this religious argument. Thank God Jesus showed up. But He felt this moment deeply because verse 19 says, He answered them, O oh, faithless, Faithless generation. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? He had been here nearly three years at this point, and we get tired of it ourselves, right? And we grew up in it. We're a part of it sometimes, don't we? Sometimes get tired of our own faithlessness and the, the faithlessness of the world around us. Jesus came here from heaven. After being here three years, he was feeling the weight of that faithlessness day after day after day. He said, bring him to me. Verse 20 says, they brought the boy to him. And when the Spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood for some time and has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. How many of you know that helpless feeling when your child is battling something with their health and you cannot do anything about it? Oh, you wish you could. You wish you could. That's what this father was feeling. We, we've felt it in several times with our own boys. I remember one time with Evan when he was first born. He began turning blue and it took a while before he began to breathe on his own and all oh, the desperate prayers that went up in that, that moment. Lord, help him. Help him. And thank God he did. Thank God he did. Maybe you know the feeling this father was feeling. He goes on to say to Jesus, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Matthew's translation says, have mercy on us. And I want to pause there for just a second. We need to remember that when we come to God asking for anything, 
that any good gift we get from God above is an act of His mercy and grace. Because on our own, apart from God, apart from Jesus, we deserve nothing but an eternity in hell. And as the Kendrick brothers pointed out as we were watching a video at our prayer meeting, if, if all God did was send Jesus to die on the cross and rise again and save us from an eternity in hell and He never did anything more, we would have enough to be eternally grateful for. Every good gift from, from God is surely an act of His mercy and grace. So this desperate father says, have compassion, have mercy. Luke 9.38 helps us understand his heart a little more. As a father, what he's going through, he says, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he's my only child. This is his only, only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It, it convulses him so that he foams and shatters him and will hardly leave him. But you notice, he had said, if you can. If you can. And, and Jesus caught on that phrase. Verse 23, Jesus said to him, If you can. If you can. All things are possible for one who believes. What, what's he saying? Look, the, the question is not my, my ability to do this. It's do you believe? Verse 24, Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Amen. Now, I, I agree with Aaron. This is one of my favorite moments in the Bible. It's one of my favorite prayers. And I want to examine it a little bit. Is it, is it well formulated? Like, is it one of those prayers you hear sometimes somebody sounds like they swallowed a steeple when they pray? Is it one of those? Is it nicely packaged and very deeply theological? Knows the answer we're looking for. Okay? It's kind of a, a desperate cry, right? Does it, does it reflect this robust and triumphant faith? I wouldn't say so. I wouldn't say so. He says, I believe. Help my unbelief. John Calvin, I'm going to paraphrase him. He says, at first you hear those two phrases and they may sound contradictory, but if, if you take a moment and just examine your own heart, you'll admit we all understand exactly what he's saying. I believe in who you are, Jesus, and I believe in your power, but I've also got all these questions and doubts and insecurities at the same time. Please help me. I believe. Help my unbelief. How would Jesus respond to a prayer like that? It wasn't well formulated. It wasn't this robust, triumphant faith. Verse 25 says, When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of Him and never enter Him again. And after crying out and convulsing Him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. I talked to Lisa, who was here for the first service. She's a nurse. She's seen people after seizures. And this description of him like a corpse, she said, that's what we see. They're, they're often blue because of the lack of oxygen they've experienced during that. And before they can ever get up, we have to pump loads of oxygen into them. 
Most of them said he is dead. Jesus didn't have to pump loads of oxygen into this young boy. It says Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. He lifted that little boy just like he had lifted Peter's mother-in-law earlier in Mark, just like he had lifted Jairus' dead daughter from death into life. And I can't help but believe that each one of us here this morning needs Jesus to lift us up as well. Maybe you feel that need this morning. Verse 28 says, When he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? Why couldn't we do it? You gave us authority too. Why why couldn't we cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Matthew adds to this. Matthew 17, 19, the disciples asked, why could we not cast it out? He said, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. Why could we not cast it out? He talks to them about not being in prayer and having little faith. And I think about this, and I think about this tension between the disciples and the the prayer of this desperate father. What was going on with the disciples? If Jesus answered that simple, desperate, mixed prayer of the guy, I believe, help my unbelief, what was going on in the disciples that they couldn't cast out the, the demon? Well, I think about one thing the man did that it sounds like they didn't do. At least they came to Je- he came to Jesus with his need. He brought it to Jesus. Evidently, Jesus' own disciples had not brought the need to cast out the demon to God in prayer. He says this kind of only comes out by, by prayer. Why didn't they pray? Why didn't they depend on God? Some have suggested that maybe they were disillusioned, bitter at this point. Bitter that Jesus had taken Peter, James, and John up on this mountaintop experience, but he didn't invite us. It's possible. We know these guys are competitive. Just read the Gospels. There's other places where they fight about who's the greatest. I'm sure it's likely that some of these guys didn't like being left out of this. And bitterness quickly turns into what? A lack of faith? A distance from God? That, that's possible. They could have been disillusioned at Jesus' prophecy that he had given them just before the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember, he had told them the Son of Man must suffer and die and then rise again. We talked about how shocking that was for many Jews at that time because their vision of a Messiah that they were waiting for for many of them was a guy that would come down, set up his kingdom physically now, and remove Rome. What's this about suffering and dying? And we still wrestle with how could they not get it? Like we talked about last week, we're looking back through all of Revelation. They were, they were learning this as they went. Say, how could they possibly fill up a, a term like Messiah with wrong understandings? Well, we do it even today. I think about the word Karen. Have you seen what's happened with the name Karen over the past few years? <laughs> 
Over the last two or three years, we filled up the name Karen and, and, and begun to equate it with a, a cranky, quarrelsome, whiny woman, right? So if you're a Karen, that's what you are. Uh, apologies to all nice Karens out there, right? Right? But we took that word and, and filled it up. They, they, many people have taken the word Messiah and filled it up with their own understanding. That's why many believe Jesus referred to himself most often as the Son of Man, because that was a, a phrase he could, he could fill with the true meaning of why he came. Were they disillusioned? That can quickly lead to a lack of prayer, lack of, lack of faith. Maybe they were becoming self-reliant. Hey, we cast out demons before. Surely we can handle it this time. Maybe they took it kind of nonchalantly. But I like what Charles Ryrie said. Experience does not equal empowerment. Just because God used us in the past to do something doesn't mean you can go out in your own power today and do it. Your need for dependence on God is daily. It is moment by moment by moment. And that's what Jesus was, was telling His disciples. That's why you could not do it. And it causes us to examine Ourselves. Are we living lives of prayer that are driven by faith in God? If we're ineffective, is it possible that in our lives it's because we are not living in faith and prayer in our Lord? Luke 9, 42, after Jesus healed the boy, thank God Jesus showed up. He healed him, gave him back to his father, and all were astonished at the majesty of God. Now, I think about the fact if you're that father, if you're that son that day, as that father held his boy healthy and whole for the first time in a long time, isn't it good that Jesus came down off the mountain into the valley? It's good for them. The stories like this, accounts like this, often bring up a question that we wrestle with sometimes. Why doesn't the miracle always happen this side of heaven? Because if you're like me, you know times in your own life or the lives of those you love who have prayed prayers of faith to God for healing, and the healing didn't come. And we have to answer that question humbly, I believe, by saying, I don't know. I don't know why the healing doesn't always come. I share with you, there was a young girl wrestling with that question two weeks ago. I know he can. Why, why doesn't he? I don't know. But one thing I do know, each of Jesus' miracles, while it showed his love and compassion for the person he healed, was about more than the miracle itself. Okay, because guess what? Even if you get the miracle of this side of heaven, unless you're in that generation when the rapture happens, you're going to die one way or another. This disease or that disease or that accident or just old age. Each of those miracles pointed to an eternal reality in who Jesus is. Hebrews 2, 3 says it this way, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, 
What was it that God was bearing witness to by signs, miracles, and wonders? His salvation in Jesus Christ. But I think about that. I think about the fact that that Jesus didn't just come down that mountain to meet physical needs. He came down that mountain because He had to head to a cross where He would die and, and pay for our sins that we might have eternal life. Eternal hope. And each of those miracles pointed to Him as the Savior and Lord we need for salvation. But it's not just hope for someday. The believer's hope is not just someday I'll have joy and peace and strength in my life. It's hope for now, even in the valleys where we find ourselves. You all remember that song from a couple years ago, He's the God of the hills and the valleys. That wasn't created by the song's artist, that idea. It comes from a story in 1 Kings 20. I'd encourage you to to read it. I'm going to paraphrase it in a nutshell. Many of Israel's neighbors that warred against them thought the different gods only ruled parts of the world. And and they said, we're we're strong in the valley, so we'll beat Israel in the valley. Their their God's only a God of the hills. And just to paraphrase, God told Israel, I'm going to show them I'm not the God of the hills only. I'm the God of the hills and the valleys. And He gave Israel the victory. He's the God of the hills in our lives. And He's God in the middle of our valleys. Strength for today. I saw this this week. I mentioned our friend who battles addiction. He's currently sitting in a prison cell in Phoenix. He told me I could share this. He wrote this from the jail in Camp Verde before he got sent down. He said, the best thing I know to do is to fully surrender and rededicate my life of worship and service to my Lord, God, and Savior. It seems as though I had returned to a life that I was delivered from in a lot of areas. My Lord sees different than my struggles, losses, and defeats. Rather, the Lord keeps building on the branches He pruned and burned up those branches that I held on to so selfishly. Nonetheless, He never left or forsook me. Words from a jail cell. I have a writing relationship with him. I have a heart for, for all prodigals because I is one. <laughs> and I'd love uh, this morning if there were two more men in our congregation that would help me keep his mailbox full of encouragement from God's Word. If, if that's you, you just let me know. We'll keep on writing to our dear brother. It's not just hope for someday. It's hope for now. Even in the valley. Even in a a jail cell. It's His presence. No matter what we walk through. This side of heaven. Even death itself. Psalm 23.4 Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff. They comfort me. As I think of peace in the middle of life storms, I want to invite my friend Gary to come up here. I recently sat across the table from Gary at Culver's, and he shared a moment in his life where this reality became clear to him. So Gary, let's let's welcome him up here. Gary's going to share with you.
morning. Um, I want to share a story about something that happened to me. Um, unfortunately, I have to read it because um, I can't get through it without crying. Um, and even as I read it, I sometimes don't get through it without crying, but you have to know they're tears of joy. Um, and as I read this story, uh, please listen from the viewpoint that this is really not about me. Um, it's about a loving God who cares about each of us. Um, I'm not very techy, so bear with me. Um, my Saturday workout was the first in a week because of a short trip away with my wife, Sharon. Um, I knew what would be waiting for me the next day, muscle pain from overdoing it. My Sunday morning started out as normal with one exception. Sharon and I would be going to the noon service instead of the evening service, and I would just stay for work after the service ended. Um, wow, I must have really worked out harder than I thought. My arms and chest are killing me. Oh well, that's the price you pay for skipping the gym for a week. Um, Sharon was concerned about my complaints and asked me if I needed to go to the ER. And of course, hey, I'm a guy. No, I don't need to go. So she left me at work and went home. I stayed, I started my normal routine and noticed that my arms and chest were hurting more. And I remember thinking, um, working out just shouldn't be so hard and hurt so much. Um, after retrieving the wheelbarrow from the dumpster area to collect the trash in the sanctuary, I felt very strange and decided to just work through the pain. Um, all of a sudden, three commands went through my head. While it wasn't audible, it was very forceful enough to cause me to do it immediately. The commands were, go sit down, call Sharon, my wife, and call Shannon, my coworker. I went and I sat down. I called Sharon and told her to come get me, and I called Shannon to tell her to come sit with me until my wife got there and to call the boss and let him know that I'm probably going to leave work. Shannon turned the corner, took one look at me, and called 911. She began to get others involved to help me. Now, I'm starting to sweat profusely and shake violently because I'm freezing. Shannon put her jacket over me, all the while talking to the 911 operator and giving orders to the others about what to do to help me. As I was sitting there going through what I can only describe as the most confusing time in my life, I looked straight ahead, and there... Staring at me 
were these indescribable eyes. I recognized the face of Kayla, but it was a calming face, smiling back at me. And who smiles at somebody in that much pain? But I began to see these eyes staring back at me were not just those of Kayla, but had to be of the Holy Spirit. Because once again, the commanding voice in my head said, it's okay, I've got you. Now, while I was in tremendous pain, I felt a release. I could let go of the pain and rest in those eyes. At that point, I could feel the peace of Christ that truly did pass all my understanding. I then became aware that the EMTs were working on me and asking questions. But the answers were coming from Sharon and Shannon. And I remember vividly one of the EMT guys said, Mr. Gaeta, you're having a heart attack. Try to relax. Not words you ever expect to hear or in the same sentence. But somehow those words, coupled with the commanding voice in my head, were calming And I actually thought I would see Jesus in a moment. And I wasn't scared. The next thing I remember was riding down the freeway in the back of an ambulance thinking, hmm, this is kind of fun. Except for the heart attack part. Um, Next thing I noticed was I was being rolled out of the ambulance into a sea of scrubs all with a job to do. There were two guys on both sides of me sticking needles into my arms, and one guy was riding on the gurney with me, putting stickers and probes and wires everywhere. And more questions. On a scale of 1 to 10, how much pain do you feel? And I thought that was an odd question, and the funny thing was, I struggled with the answer. I knew I was in pain, but I just didn't seem to feel it. And then I was out. Sometime later, I woke up and I'm told that everything went very well and that I had two stents put in my heart and that I was headed to ICU. While being hooked up to every cable, hose, wire in the room, I could hear the nurses say, that was amazing. He was 27 minutes from door to balloon. I had no idea what that meant, but since they thought it was amazing, I should probably try to remember it. I found out later that the doctors have up to 90 minutes to open the blocked arteries with a catheter that has this balloon thingy in it that opens up your arteries. And the less time it takes, the less damage is done. And 27 minutes meant no damage to my heart or my brain. The next thing I remember was all the pastors from the church are in my room except for one. He stayed behind to preach. Um, I guess someone had to. Um, It was a steady flow of people 
until visiting hours were over and it was time for me to go to sleep. Monday morning picked up where Sunday night left off, a steady stream of visitors. And it got to the point that Nurse Janet had to enforce the two-visitor rule. And uh, I began, and I bring this up because by 7 o'clock that night, Nurse Janet came in and told me that she was going to stop the visiting tonight because I need my rest. And I hate to be Nurse Cratchit, she said, but you are my first priority. And I told her it was okay and that I was grateful for the care that she provided. And I could tell she felt bad about doing this, but at that point, it, I just wanted to let her know that she was appreciated. When the new nurse coming on was coming on, I overheard Nurse Janet briefing Nurse Carla about me. She began by explaining that I was something of an exceptional case, and she was still trying to wrap her head around it. He was 27 minutes from door to balloon, and when you look into his eyes, you won't see a heart attack victim. In fact, I still don't understand what I see, but there is definitely something different about this guy. When he was first brought into ICU, there were six pastors here to see him. And in the course of one day, he had more visitors than most in a week. Physically, he shows no signs of trauma and only wants to be up walking around. Carla sounded intrigued by this, and when she walked into my room, she stared into my eyes and couldn't help but smile. Friends, I want everyone to know that while I was present in all of this, none of this is about me. It's a testimony to how Jesus has worked through this event in my life. And if you don't recognize the hand of God that was at work in all of this, you just don't want to see it. Nurse Carla saw in my eyes, what she saw in my eyes was not me. She saw the Holy Spirit working here. Friends, an evil thing happened to me, but God used it for good. Looking back at the string of events, the people he put in place, and the perfect timing involved, not only did I not die in this heart attack, but God gave me a healthier heart than it was before. I am a simple man who is being used of God to display his love, grace, and mercy to those open to see it and hear it. And the funny thing is, growing up, I always wanted a fantastic testimony to share about how God saved my life. Now I've got one. Thank you. Hey, one of the powerful things about testimony is it makes us 
see the reality of God at work in our lives. And I want to lead us into a, a, just a few moments of prayer. Some of us need to lift our hands to Jesus this morning because we're in a valley. And maybe some of you here don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior yet, but you're saying, I, I want that kind of peace in my life no matter what I go through. Lift up your hand to Jesus in faith. I believe, help my unbelief. I believe you died for my sins and rose again. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. And he's telling the rest of us who know him are in a valley and need to lift up our hands to him for help this morning. But I also think about another prayer I want to encourage you to think about. I, th- I think about one of the things that happened in that story was the believers around Gary, people probably of prayer, probably of faith, God used to bless him in the middle of a hard time. And he also used them to shine a light to those watching in. And I think about that and I think, man, I, I want to be that way. I want to be a person of prayer, a person of faith that God uses for others in the middle of the valley. So, so pray about that, Lord. Is there anybody in my life right now in a valley that you'd like to use me to be your hands and feet to? Let's spend a few moments praying.